Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Paul Dvorsky. Paul was a National Hockey League referee from 1987 to 2015, covering almost 1,600 games over a 28-year career that spanned all the way from the reign of number 99, the great one Wayne Gretzky, to the era of number 87, Sid the Kid Crosby. Paul has presided over Stanley Cup Finals, All-Star Games, and Olympic Gold Medal Games, and he was also at the center of the storm for that infamous 1997 brawl between the Detroit Red Wings and the Colorado Avalanche. Let's jump right into all of this. Welcome, Paul, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Well, I'm good, Andrew, and uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, the legends. I don't think I'm a legend, but um, I'm living here in uh, downtown Hershey, Pennsylvania. And and where is Hershey for our geography within Pennsylvania? I'm about five hours south of Buffalo. Okay. For me to get to Philadelphia is about an hour and a half and three hours to New York City. So yeah. closer to Philadelphia, Pittsburgh's on the other side of the state. Yeah, Pittsburgh's about three and a half hours. How has your summer been post-pandemic? Did you have a chance to travel and get out? I finally got a chance to go out and visit my mother in Guelph in uh, August. I was supposed to go to my brother's uh, retirement party uh, on the 21st, but he canceled it because of the weather. And so he had it the next weekend and I had to get back to the state. So I missed it. Yeah, he's retiring now. He's uh, He had back surgery and he's... Uh, He's finally doing well now after the surgery. So, but he he'll never skate again. Well, it was it was good to hear he got it done, but it's uh, it's very invasive. We're going to talk about his career, your career. If you don't mind, we're going to go all the way back and get the Paul Dvorsky story. Where were you born? And talk about your upbringing. Born in Guelph, Ontario. Played all my hockey, all-star hockey there. Played junior A hockey there for four years with the Guelph Holiday Platers. And the one year we won the Centennial Cup, which is the Canadian Championship. And on that team, you might know a few of the names. Brian McCollin, my defense partner. George McPhee was the left winger, scrapper. And Brian Hayward was our goalie. So, Paul, after your hockey career, you had won the Centennial Cup. And a reporter asked you, are you going to start officiating now? What, did, what was your response to that? I didn't... I didn't quit after junior. I played three years of senior A hockey. And then after that, there was a reporter that asked me if I was going to start refereeing. I said, well, I don't know what I said. I, I said, I said, I might as well, because my dad's done it for so many years. And, you know, I might as well trade the stick in for a whistle because the stick's not doing any good. <laughs> yeah. And, and you got a call eventually from John McCauley from the NHL. What was that call like? Oh, my God. I'll never forget that call. He opened up, hey, Paul, it's John McCauley, and uh, I'd just like to invite you to NHL training camp this year. And I pulled the phone back, and I said, who the hell is this? He says, John McCauley. I says, don't bullshit me. I said, who is this? So he finally convinced me it was John McCauley because I thought it was somebody pulling my leg. And that's the first year I went to training camp was 1986 as a trainee. And from 86 to trainee, you started your first game. Let's talk about a bunch of the biggest games of your career. And obviously the first game would be significant. October 14th, 1989 in Hartford for a game between the Whalers and the New Jersey Devils. 
What do you remember, Paul, about that first game? Well, I remember Kevin Collins was on the line with Brian Murphy, and it was a one-man system. And I don't think any of, the, any of us had helmets on back then. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, flew my dad down uh, from Guelph to go to the game with me. He was pretty excited. I'll never forget looking across the bench, and there's Joel Quenville sitting on the bench with Dave Tippett. Kay Whitmore was the goalie who now works for the NHL Hockey Ops. I got to be real good friends with Joel Quenville and Tippett over the years. So, yeah, it was, uh, I'll never forget that day, that's for sure. Well, as you say, a special day for your father. He had been a referee for 35 years in the OHA. I have to imagine, Paul, the first moment in your NHL career where you had to kind of pinch yourself and say, here I am, the highest level of sport must have been your first brawl between Chicago and Detroit. What do you remember about that? I don't know. I guess you got more info than I do. Uh... <laughs> well, I remember you thinking, you commented on, it was really struck you that suddenly you had all 10 guys on the ice paired up trying to fight each other. Like you say, back then it was the one-man system, no helmet. You must have said, uh, what have I gotten myself into here? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're out there by yourself and the two linesmen are there just trying to break everything up. So you're going over to try out, put out a fire over here because a couple of guys, not everybody wants to fight on the ice. So you try to get those guys off quick enough. And then if somebody's getting the shit kicked out of them, you try to get in there and help him out. So <laughs> yeah, you're in the, uh, the eye of the storm, so to speak. One of the biggest games that you were involved with was March 26, 1997 that Detroit game. This was the Colorado-Detroit brawl. You were certainly in the eye of that hurricane 25 years ago. If I may, Paul, let me set it up and then we'll get your recollections. That night, you called 148 penalty minutes in the fourth and final regular season matchup between the Red Wings and the Avalanche. This was to the surprise of absolutely no one who was even remotely paying attention to hockey in those days. The Red Wings had a score to settle dating to the previous spring when the teams met in the Western Conference Final. In that series, Game 6 at Colorado, the Wings needed to stay alive. Avs forward Claude Lemieux hit a defenseless Chris Draper from behind. Draper fell back, forward actually, hitting his face on the dasher boards in front of the bench. The result, a broken jaw, fractured cheekbone, broken nose, damage to the right orbital bone, and several missing or broken teeth. Eventually, the Avs added insult to injury, scoring the final three goals against the shaken Detroit team to end the season for the Wings. Of course, Avalanche moved on to the finals and swept the Florida Panthers for their first Stanley Cup. Fast forward to the next season, leading into this game on March 26th. The teams had played each other three times without serious incident, but everyone knew that if the Wings were ever going to get their revenge, it would be at this game at Joe Louis Arena. Certainly Brian Lewis, the NHL supervisor of officials, knew this. Early the afternoon of that game, your boss, Brian Lewis, called to give you a heads up that this would likely be a difficult game to officiate. Brian Lewis said to you, just be ready. These teams really don't like each other. And by the way, again, the two-man system was not in effect. You, Paul Dvorsky, would be, essentially be the sole judge, jury, and executioner for this game. Paul, take it from there. What do you remember about this absolutely crazy game? Well, I remember like we were talking about it before the game. It was with Dan Shakti and, and Ray Scampanello. And just so you know, Dan Shakti just passed away uh, last week. He was only 64. So, But they, those two guys had their hands full that night, right from the drop of the puck. 
We got Igor Larionov, who was a goal scorer. Well, he's the one that started the fight with somebody in the side of the net and threw him to the ice, and then all hell broke loose. And But I just remember, you know, in my head, I knew they were going after Lemieux from what had happened, and I was really stubborn. And in my head, I'm thinking, you know what, payback is such a bitch. And then all of a sudden, I saw Darren McCarty come out of nowhere and just tackle Lemieux and just pummel him. Then the goal, Then Patrick Waugh come out and Shanahan, he flew at him and tackled him and then the goalies were going at it. Once we got everything cleared up, I think Scampanello says to me, he says, okay, you want me to get rid of McCarty? I says, uh, I says no, I says, put him in the box. So being stubborn like I was, I should have gave McCarty two minutes for instigate five for fighting and a game misconduct mm-hmm. well i did i gave him two for instigate five fight and a 10 minute misconduct which kept him in the game we go along and everything's you know we have a few more fights after that well sure shit the game goes into overtime and who scores the winning goal Darren <laughs> mccarty oh, so De- detroit fans are nuts they just i mean they fell in love with me that night and i'm going off the ice and I go to get in, go to my dressing room, and I can't get in because Pierre LaRouche, Pierre LaRouche was the GM for Colorado. Okay. He's a big man. He's standing there with his arms crossed and just shaking his head at me, you know, and finally we had to get security to move him out of the way. So oh, wow. Get, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Mark Crawford, he wasn't very happy either that night with me. So. Well, as you know, Paul, it couldn't have been a, a crazier ending to this story. Darren McCarty, as you note, he ended up being the hero by scoring the winning goal. This was in overtime in front of a delirious crowd of 20,000 at the Joe. There is an interesting postscript to this story. Uh, after you retired, Paul, you were elevated by the league to serve as a supervisor of officials. One assignment during COVID had you in an empty cavernous arena uh, in Detroit. Do you want to talk about who you ran into during this COVID game in Detroit? Well, I was supposed to sit in the video replay booth, but it's up in the far end and it's really high and you really can't get a good feel. So I found myself this very nice empty box. Like it was, you know, pretty nice. And I didn't know why, you know, nobody was sitting in it. Well, I come to find out it's, the box was for Detroit alumni players that wanted to come and watch the game with their families. Well, nobody was there. So I'm sitting there by myself watching the game and I'm at the far end and I see this guy sit down at the far end. He starts watching the game, watching the game. And then I see him looking at me and then I look at him and then he stands up and he just got this big grin on his face and he comes walking over to me. And then I realize I saw, oh my God, it's Darren McCarty. And I stand <laughs> up and I'll tell you, he gave me the biggest hug like ever, you know, and he just, he just, we just, the two of us just laughed. Yeah. And friend, and then we sat there and talked the whole game. Yeah, I remember that night, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, you also were involved in a lot of other big games. Let's talk about another one. The 1999 All-Star Game. In those days, the format was North America versus the world. There were so many names at this game. Canada had Al McInnes, Paul Correa, Brendan Shanahan, Martin Brodeur, Ray Bork, 
Wayne Gretzky. The world team featured Nicholas Lindstrom, Temu Solani, Peter Forsberg, Dominic Hasek, Yarmir Yager. What was it like for you to be surrounded by that kind of, it was really generational talent at this 99 All-Star game? Well, I actually felt pretty uh, at ease because I got to know all these guys on the ice. And I was always one, I was always talking to, you know, if it was a defenseman standing beside me, i whack him on the ass and, you know, how you doing tonight, you know, and stuff like that. Or I'd be talking to the goalies. So, but when it was time to pull the trigger, I, you know, I had to, yeah, we call it, you know, turn on the dick switch because you're yeah. always a nice guy and then you got to become a dick and put the guy in the penalty box. So I had a really good rapport, especially with uh, Ray Borg. I'll never forget the night he won the Stanley Cup with Colorado. He just looked and he came looking for me on the ice and gave me the biggest hug. And I thought, oh my God, this doesn't look good. <laughs> the winning team, Ray Borg gave me a hug. <laughs> Let's talk about that, Paul. This was your first Stanley Cup Finals, 2001. This saw Roy Raybork, as you note, finally earn his first championship with the Colorado Avalanche. So now we got him giving you a big hug. Yeah, that's a that's a tough look for you. Oh well, it's uh, and then when I've seen him in Boston a few times later, he always wants to come up and talk. You know, like he just. He'll never forget that moment of winning and winning his first Stanley Cup, especially with all the good teams he played for in Boston. You know, yep. they never won a cup, so I was happy for him. He's Certainly well deserved. Yeah. yeah, he's he's still a hero in Boston. Paul, the other Stanley Cup Finals you did, Game Seven, two thousand and nine, Pittsburgh at Detroit. This saw Sidney Crosby lift his first Stanley Cup. Uh, of all the finals you worked. Uh, this one probably must have been extremely memorable because it was a repeat meeting between Crosby's Penguins, Nick Lidstrom's Red Wings. What do you remember about that Game 7, 2009? I do remember that because I flew my son up with me. Uh, my son Luke, he was 10 at the time. And I brought him and he sat in the room while we got ready for the game and I guess they got him a good seat. I don't know where they had him sitting anyways, but I just, you know, remember how good of a hockey game it was. I remember in the dying moments, Nicholas Lindstrom was like right on the side of the net to bury it, to tie the game. And was it Flurry who was playing that then? Yeah, you're correct. Yep, Flurry. Yeah. He came over and made this great save with two seconds to go to game, game over. Pittsburgh, you know, they all came on the ice. Well, I went off, stayed on the ice for a little bit and went off the ice, got showered up and changed. And I'm standing there with my son, Luke, and we're watching the celebration. I know the guy that runs the Zamboni in Detroit really well. And he was standing there and, he, and I said, uh, I said, Al, open the door, will you? He said, what? I said, I'm going to walk out on the ice. So... I took, I walked out on the ice with my shirt and tie and brought my son with me. And as soon as I came on the ice, Billy Guerin sees me and he comes flying over and just grabs my son and he grabs me and just starts hugging me. And then next thing I know, Marilyn Mew is there and he's hugging us. And I'm looking at Luke. I said, holy shit, Luke, 
we be, I got to get out of here because this doesn't look good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the referee on the ice with the winning team. And, uh, but I did it more so for my son, you know, and it's something he'll never forget, you know. And to this day, I have a great relationship with Mario and Billy Darren. You know, every time I see him, we have really good chats. So, Well, it's so clear, Paul. You had a great rapport with the players, and obviously that's a great memory of yours with your son. Another huge game you did, you did two Olympics, uh, two different Olympic games. First, let's talk about 2006. You did the gold medal game between Sweden and Finland. This was in Torino. Nicholas Lidstrom scored the game winner for the Swedes to win the gold. What brought you over to Italy for the Olympic Games? I guess I was lucky enough to get selected that year to work the Olympics. And while I'm over there, uh, I think Danny Marawelli was also over there with me. And I forget the other two linesmen that came over. But, I mean, I got along good with all the European uh, supervisors and that. And... Uh, my games went well, and next thing I know, I'm doing the gold game, you know. <laughs> I'm on the ice with all these guys that they've all, 90% of them play in the NHL. Mm -hmm. Like from that day on, like Sweden won the gold medal, but even Finland, like they were all, all the players were all my buddies. Like when yeah. we came back to Canada or back to the States and started playing again, like that's all they wanted to talk about was the Olympics. Like Matt Sundin, he he fell in love with me because he, you know, he ended up winning the gold medal. And uh, Timo Timo Timonen was on the Finland team, and he was just so happy to win the, you know, a medal. And uh, he became a real good friend of mine. So yeah, it was it was a good experience. I brought my wife with me, and I had to come home because we had to start the season back up over okay. here. Okay. And well, she stayed over with the wives and they toured Italy. <laughs> nice. I came back and went to work. <laughs> Paul, during the Olympics in Italy, were you able to get outside of the Olympic village or, or were you kind of, you were there to work and you were always kind of on duty? Yeah, I didn't get to see much of the country at all. Uh, yeah, we were kind of stuck in the village there and. You know, if I wasn't at uh, working a game, I would be stand. You had to stand by for a game, you know, so you'd be there watching, anyways. So, but I didn't mind. You know, I was there for the hockey. What a great experience! And then, of course, in 2010, here at home, so to speak, Vancouver Winter Olympics, you did the bronze medal game. What was the experience like for that Olympic Games? It was nice. I mean, it was good to be working in in Canada, my home country. You know, I mean, I. Certainly would have loved to do the gold game, but when they asked me to do the bronze game, I said, yeah, fine. You know, I mean, because I'd already done the one gold game and it gave somebody else a chance to work a gold game. So it was good. I had my family there with me. And uh, like you said, it was 2010. What a great experience to do the Olympics. Yeah. And uh, I always like I always like working out in Vancouver, especially with Pat Quinn, because, oh, my God, what a character he was. And I, I don't know if I can say this on the air, but <laughs> go ahead. I was doing a game one day and it was Valentine's Day and I got this Valentine's card and I put on it, gave it to him. OK. When I was skated up, hey, hey, Pat, here you go. He's looking at it. He just starts laughing carrying away 
Well, the game starts, and the first four penalties are a go against Vancouver. Uh-oh. Well, he calls me over about the second time out, and he says, I thought you were just going to kiss me when you gave me the card. I didn't know you were going to me up the ass. Pat Quinn was a character. Oh, my God, was he ever. You also have, Paul, a very funny story about the very first game you refed in Edmonton and an interaction you had with the great Paul Coffey. What happened the first time you uh, ended up on the ice with him? Wow. I don't know how you get all these stories, but <laughs> I just remember, you know, skating around, and I hadn't, I hadn't seen Paul Coffey since when we played against each other in junior A. He was playing for North York. Bernie Nichols was also on that team. Well, I'm skating around the ice, and I see Coffee looking at me, and he's skating, and he's looking, and he comes up, and he's coming, he says, you're not the guy, number four, to play for Guelph, are you? I go, <laughs> I go yeah, it was me, Polly. He says, holy shit, was I scared shitless of you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Paul Coffee scared of you. And this was, of course, back to your Centennial Cup days. Yeah. Well, and Paul, as we know, he was more of a playmaker and all-around great hockey player. And he Absolutely. He really got involved in much, you know, fisticuffs at all. I was pretty proud of myself when he came up to me and said, oh, my God, he said, was I ever scared of you? <laughs> it's, a, it's a high compliment for sure. Yeah. Now, Paul, you talked a little before about your younger brother, Greg. He also had a long career in the NHL. How did he get into it? And was he following his big brother or, or how did that come about? I'm not sure if my dad was still refereeing when Greg started. I don't think he was, but Greg got started and then he started in the OHL and he was a real, like a gifted skater. And he was six foot three and had a big long stride. So. He actually, you know, he made it on his own because of his size and his skating ability. And he lasted like, yeah, he worked quite a, I mean, I'm not sure how many games he worked, but I, almost 1,600 games too. Both of you had exceptional careers. Let's talk about the final game in your career, April 5th, 2015. This was the 1,594th and final regular season game. Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia, Penguins versus Flyers. Your brother worked with you. Your family was there. Paul, what do you remember about the final game you refereed? Well, I remember uh, them coming in, the off-ice crew, and coming in and saying, Paul, we realize it's your last game, and we'd like to do something on the Jumbotron for you somewhere uh, near the end of the first period. And I said, well, yeah, that's fine. I said, yeah, I said just don't hold the game up, you know. He said, no, no, we'll do it during the commercial break. Well, as things go, like, same thing happened with the Pat Quinn. The first four or five penalty were all went against Philly. Oh, no. And in Philly, I don't know if you know, they have a pretty rough crowd <laughs> there. They, they booed Santa Claus uh, during an Eagles yeah. game. Well, they got the refuse suck chant going halfway through the first, and it wouldn't stop. So they called me over at the penalty box and says, uh, hey, Paul, we're going to hold off on that tribute to you. 
<laughs> these fans calm down. Well, as it turned out, Philly came back and took the lead. They showed the tribute in the third period, and I actually got a you know a very a standing O from the fans, which was pretty good because they hated me first, and then they fell in love with me in the third. So <laughs> that was good, and then the game was over, and it was you know I'll never forget because. Both teams, I, you know, I shook hands with all the guys on both teams and coaches came over and shook my hand. And then after the game, like Billy Guerin, he was, and Jimmy Rutherford, they were with Pitt. They both came in the dressing room. And uh, I remember Hex, Hextall come in from Philadelphia. And it, it was, you know, they're all just saying, you know, had a good, good career and, and to this day, I'm good friends with all these Hextall and all these guys. So, Well, what a testament to you, Paul. Think about that for a second. A referee getting a standing ovation in Philadelphia. So good on you. Yeah. I want to ask you, now that you look back at your career, you played with people who you eventually had to referee and be in charge of the game. I'm thinking of someone, for example, George McPhee was a teammate, and then you're refereeing when he was in management. How did you handle that kind of relationship um, as it changed and now you're the boss and then you got to keep things good? I remember, first of all, I remember George as a player. I saw him before the game. He was out warming up and he just, he called me, uh, back then he called me Dookie. And he said, he said, Dookie, don't get upset if I have to cost some shit tonight. And I says, yeah, no problem, Joe. I says, well, just don't be upset if I got to throw you out. <laughs> Good answer. Well, sure as shit. He started shit, you know, and I didn't throw him out, but he got the extra 10 for being the instigator, you know, and uh, he just, you know, even after he says, well, you had to, you know, you did your job, you know, he says, I expected it. So it was even tougher when he was a GM with Washington because I remember that, one night I'm doing a game seven and it's the first round, I think. And Bruce Boudreaux's coach for Washington. Well, at the time, Bruce lived in Harrisburg and he lived two doors down from me. Oh, wow. Oh yeah. He was in my fricking pool all summer. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm doing game seven, you know, things are going good. Well, the game goes into overtime. Things going, drop the puck, start overtime, get going. Well, all of a sudden, I forget who the defenseman was. Well, he trips this guy going in on a, not a breakaway, but he was going to go in. And my arm just shot up like it's a penalty. Sure as shit, Philadelphia scores the winning mm. goal. Game mm. seven. I remember that night, like I just felt like shit afterwards because I know how... George feel, felt, and I knew Bruce, and I knew the whole training staff, like just good guys. And I just remember driving home that night, like I literally broke down in tears thinking about mm. it. Like, did I just fucking screw my buddy, you know, mm. my two good friends? Well, then all of a sudden my cell phone rings and it's George. And he says, you all right, buddy? I says, well, not really. He says, well, he says, hey. He says, it was a penalty and you had to call it. He said, 
if it was against them, I would expected you to call it. So, I mean, that made me feel a little better. And so the next morning I wake up and I'm just getting a coffee and I hear the front door go. So I go to the front door, open it up, and there's freaking Chubby, Boost Brudo, <laughs> standing there. Sticks out his hand, he says, still friends? And he shakes wow. my hand. And then, you know, we gave, I, we gave each other a big hug. And, you know, from that day on, like, we had a pretty good summer because <laughs> he was out and I was, so he could use my pool while I was still refereeing. <laughs> well, it just shows, eh? Business is business. Friendship is friendship. Yeah, yeah. This uh, this podcast, Paul, would be, of course, is called Toronto Legends. So we would be remiss if we didn't ask for some Toronto memories and stories. What do you specifically remember about refereeing at Maple Leaf Gardens? Yeah, I did. I, I liked working there. I mean, it was a tough rink to work in, you know, because diehard Toronto Maple Leaf fans there, they all knew that I lived in close by in Guelph at the time so that was kind of tough but it was good I you know I uh, I didn't work a lot of games in Toronto there I think they did that for a reason just to keep me keep me away from there I did more more games in Montreal and Quebec City and Winnipeg but uh, it was always nice to get to get to do games in Toronto because if my dad was still around he'd come down the game with me you know and it's then, fabulous once my brother started, we, you know, got to work some games in Toronto. And that. I actually picked Toronto. I picked my last four games the year I retired. I picked Chicago because the atmosphere in Chicago was just outrageous. From Chicago, I went to Toronto so my mom, my mom could come to the game. My dad was in the hospital at the time. And then I went, picked San Jose as my last second last game because that's where my wife's from and then I picked Philadelphia because that's close to Hershey and then all my friends and family came down to that game that's that great and I got to pick I got to pick a different crew for each game so that was good yeah and, and I, as you note, being able to have your brother with you at that last game must yeah. have been special. Yeah. in your long career Paul so many games did you ever get injured did you ever get hurt refereeing and and when you started, as you say, you didn't even have a helmet, which sounds crazy today. No, I didn't. I remember the one night I got uh, took a puck, and I think it was in Detroit, slap shot right in the side of the side of the year. I remember going right off, and they took me right into the trainer's room, and they just laid me on the side and started stitching. Well, as it turned out, they had to put 23 stitches in my ear. Well, the next thing you know, I'm back out on the ice. Well, <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore in today's no, world. No, like especially with concussion protocol, like I would have never. But I, I just, I bounce. I say, I, I'm okay, you know. And I remember Mike Stuthers looking around at me, and, and he's looking at my side of my head, and he says, "Devo," he says, "Get the hell off the ice, will you?" <laughs> When's the last time you were in Toronto? Have you been to the Hockey Hall of Fame? And I wonder if you kept any memorabilia from your career. Yeah, I do. I, uh, I've got some autograph. I got an uh, Before I got, got off the ice, I made sure I got uh, Gretzky to sign a jersey for me. Messier signed me a jersey. Uh, Mario signed a jersey for me, and so did Ovechkin. 
And I remember doing my thousandth, yeah, it was my thousandth game, and George McPhee showed up. And on the ice, he gave me a silver stick engraved mm. with a thousand, you know, which is is still downstairs. So, yeah, I uh, I got a lot of memorabilia. I just can't find it because <laughs> it's all in boxes. Well, that would have been a good COVID project for you to dig everything out, but you'll have you'll have to get to that one day and enjoy all that stuff, Paul. What was the meanest thing said or written about you? Are you uh, willing to share that, or do you just let it bounce off you and you don't even remember? If it was written about me, I was usually gone out of town, you know, so I wouldn't uh, see it. So I, I really didn't hear too much. I don't know, you know, maybe if I don't know if you've got a story, but. No, I'm not, I'm not baiting you. You didn't have anything. I'm going to assume you were just so great. You didn't have anything mean said no, about no, you. Just no. good. Uh, there were some <laughs> tough nights. <laughs> I remember one night calling a penalty and Brad Richards. Do you remember him? He was. I Brad, sure do. He was coaching Columbus, and I called this penalty, and it was against Columbus. And I'm over there. I'm bent over, and I look at Brad, and I says, I said, Brad, I got to tell you, I said. That's one of the worst freaking penalties I've ever called. I says, I, he says, I just, uh, I'm sorry. I said, you know, he said, I don't worry about Debo. And so I, I bent over, put my hands on my knees. And the next thing I know, I, all I can hear is Brad Richards pumping up. He's, all right, guys, come on, guys. Let's kill this one off. Let's kill this off for Debo. <laughs> I freaking turn and look. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. Yeah, well, they killed it off. So <laughs> if you were honest with them, that's the way they treated you. So and I, I remember I was, I had a great relationship with Scotty Bowman because I was, mm -hmm. you know, I was honest with him and, you know, like he'd be honest with me. Like he called me over one night, he says, Paul, he says, I just want to tell you, this is one of the most horseshit games you've ever worked. <laughs> I says, well, I says, thanks for being honest, Scotty. <laughs> Hey, there's something to be said for being direct. Yeah. Now, Paul, we are Toronto legends, but our listenership literally spans the globe. I got a question from European hockey journalist Risto Pakarinen, who is Finnish but currently based in Sweden, so he certainly has vivid memories of the 2006 Finland-Sweden gold medal game. Risto writes, Please ask Mr. Dvorsky why historically the NHL has always resisted and in fact mocked implementing European rule changes that were eventually adopted by the NHL. Risto gives these examples. The IIHF took out the red line, otherwise known as the two-line pass, in 1997. The NHL did so in 2005. The Swedes had shootouts back in 1999. Eventually, the NHL added them in 2005. And of course, the Europeans have had a no-fighting stance basically forever, the NHL has not eliminated fighting, but it's certainly vastly reduced. Do you have any comments on the international game and why the NHL initially seems to resist taking in rules that seem to be working in Europe? I don't know. I, I guess the NHL, they're their own, you know, their own franchise. And they, I guess, who's ever in charge calls the shots. And I mean, I'm glad, you know, we implemented what, they've done over there for, you know, cause it's worked out, especially, especially the shootout. And I was talking to somebody like the other day, like it's, it's a total different game now. I said, it's, mm -hmm. it's all speed. 
like we don't have any scrums anymore we don't have very seldom fights you know we don't have big gatherings uh you know there might be some night where there's only four penalties in the whole game you know and and it's if you can't skate now you can't play in the nhl and same with our officials like i just we had a combine in buffalo in august around august 18th and we had 100 they're all most of them all ex-hockey players see try refereeing and mm-hmm. we also had 10 girls there that showed up mm-hmm. combine and i'll tell you what every one of them could skate yes you know the focus of the game has certainly changed as, as you say skating and speed yes i want to ask as we wrap up and i appreciate your time today what is paul Dvorsky up to today what is your hockey retirement life like what are you up to i retired and i stayed off stayed unemployed for six months so i could collect my severance <laughs> yes once i collected all that I got hired by my boss, Stevie Wacom, uh, who's a real good friend of mine. He hired, and now I'm officiating, uh, an officiating manager. Okay. So I'm actually uh, flying to Columbus tomorrow for my first uh, exhibition game on Sunday. Oh, excellent. And uh, then, then next week I go Philadelphia, New York, and then, it, then I think I'm going Carolina, St. Louis, Florida, Tampa. So then I'll fly home a couple of days and then the season will start. So a new season and you, you, the hockey life is still your life. I think it's once every six weeks, I have to go up into the war room in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Is That's where we have to have an ex official in there when we have okay. this on the ice. So we've got about six guys that rotate up there now. Excellent. So a new season begins soon and you'll you'll be involved yet again in a different capacity. Yeah. I like working with the young. Steven gets me to work with the young guys and mentor them, you know, and because they're all ears. The older guys, like I don't, I can't talk to them because they're not changing their ways. (laughs) Yeah. But the younger guys, they're all full of piss and vinegar and they want to learn. So sure. You can pass on all your experience. That's great. Yeah. Paul, when was the last time you're out on skates? Do you still play hockey? No, the last time I was on skates was, oh my God, I think it was last, oh, it's got to be eight months ago. And I did, it's an annual, it's a, it's a cops for cops game. And mm-hmm. it's down here and it's usually the cops, the local cops against the firemen. They really don't like each other. When <laughs> no, I've heard that. <laughs> And and then to get a few ex- other guys like Brian Helmer, he's the manager of the Hershey Bears. Well, he played in the NHL in the American League. Well, he comes out and plays for the cops. Mm. Well, he's flying all around out there, you know. So, yeah, that was the last time I skated. So, okay. and I, the next time I skate will probably be the next cops for cops game. <laughs> okay. Well, that's okay. Keeps you involved. Yeah. Paul, are you on social media at all? Uh, is is there any way people can interact with you that you'd like to talk about? I don't know if you're on Twitter or what have you. They don't really want us. Uh, you know, it's the fact that I'm still working for the NHL. Uh, yep. They don't want us on Twitter. I mean, you know, you, you heard what happened to one of our Tim Peel. He got fired for mm-hmm. opening up something on the ice and 
And for now, I mean, I can't, every time I pick up Twitter, he's on it, you know? Mm. Well, our guys aren't allowed to get on it while they're working on the ice or in- And it probably makes sense. Yeah. So, and it's probably for my own good. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, listen, Paul, I want to thank you for all your time and all your great stories. And uh, we will look forward to seeing you around the various rinks as the new NHL season begins. So uh, have a great uh, training camp as you head into a new season. Well, great. And I appreciate it, Andrew. And thank you to the listener for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends podcast. On behalf of Paul Dvorsky, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.